Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. So my great friend and the one who discipled me had this huge debate years ago. But before we can talk about that, we have to go back a little bit because I am a coffee snob. Over the years, I have learned to appreciate good coffees versus bad coffees, coffees that come from certain regions and countries, different roasts and all those things put together. I have just become a coffee snob. And what's interesting about coffee is that in the 70s, but really the 80s and 90s, coffee started to really shift. It started to go from like this diner, burnt cup of coffee into something that was like a part of hospitality where a good cup of coffee matters. In my generation, that's where I grew up drinking. Um, I didn't have that time where I would go to the grocery store and get like that instant stuff that you put in. Now, if you like that stuff, it's fine. But for a coffee snob, you're not gonna drink instant coffee. Because as I grew up, coffee was becoming mainstream. It, it started to pop up all these different really cool shops. It wasn't just like coffee shops to get a drink. You started drinking coffee names like lattes and cappuccinos and Americanos and all these cool names and you'd go and you'd just be. It was a place where you could congregate with friends, you could be with other people, you could be creative, you could even start to work from coffee shops. Boy, wouldn't that be a luxury right now as we finally get to go back to possibly going back to our coffee shops after COVID. But what happened with coffee is it started to go from this 25 to 50 cent cup of coffee into now people are paying $5. I mean, you're paying extraordinary, like even more money for a cup of coffee all to get that really, really good cup. So I'm gonna throw a little Milwaukee trivia out there. So all of you Milwaukee people, born and raised, do you remember a place on the east side called the Coffee Trader? Okay, do you remember the Coffee Trader on Milwaukee's east side? That's where I was introduced to real coffee. My youth group, so kids from my church, teenagers and our youth workers, we would go to the Coffee Trader and we would hang out there and my youth pastor introduced me to like good coffee. Like, I didn't even know anything about anything about coffee. And, and here I am, I'm trying to suck down this coffee. I put like, you know, maybe a little bit of coffee, like a whole thing of milk, you know. And, but like, that was the beginning of this story. And for those who remember the coffee trader, if you remember, they had like those huge monster like sheet pans of like nachos and stuff. We'd get this big pan of nachos and drink coffee. My stomach could not even imagine doing that now at 9 to 10 o'clock at night when we would go. But... Coffee was something that was just built into me and I started to learn from that time on just to appreciate not just a cup of coffee, but something that was actually good. So that's where the debate came in. My friend and I sat down and he said he didn't believe me that I could tell apart different types of coffees. Like there's no way, coffee's coffee. And we'd meet at Panera. And Panera, you know, it's, it's okay coffee, but I'm the coffee snob, right? And so we go for a cup, I'm like, ah, it's all right, you know. And, and there's lots of debate what a good cup of coffee is. But at the time, I was really into Starbucks. It's one of the, com the companies I enjoyed. There's lots, but it was one of them. 
And so he said, there's no way you can tell the difference. And one time in our meetings, I showed up and, and there's cups lined up in front of me, four different cups. He says, you cannot tell the difference between different types of coffees. He goes, I guarantee you can't tell Panera from Starbucks. You can't tell light roast from a dark roast. You can't even, even get close to saying what kind of region it is. And so I said, okay, I, I took a cup of coffee. I took a sip, went down the line and took a sip. That's Panera's light roast. That's Starbucks dark roast. That is Panera's dark roast. That is Starbucks light roast. I really think that this is probably Sumatra. I'm thinking this is probably Guatemala. This is probably Colombia. And he, there's no way. Like, how did you know that, right? But for years and years and years, I studied coffee. I became kind of a dork with it. I really learned to enjoy different types of coffee and then how different people roasted it. It all became kind of this thing. I just became immersed in this huge ecosystem of what is a good cup of coffee. Well, I'm glad to say that after that, uh, he's become a coffee snob now. And now he's gone to whole new levels where he does pour overs and like only has like collectivo special kinds of coffees and like does a certain temperature of water. And you can, I mean, you can get so immersed in this world, right? Of making just amazing coffee. What a comparison from our grandparents who would have crystallized uh, coffee that they would put and add into hot water. So much has changed in this world. But something that is clear is that for me, I could find what was real and what was a fake. Like if you were to give me crystallized coffee, I mean, I'd tell you in like two seconds, that's not the real thing. But sometimes it's a little harder. It's harder to tell what's the real thing and what's something that's just not as good. Unless you are immersed into it, unless you experience, unless your, your life is kind of dedicated almost to knowing and, and exploring these things, you're not going to be able to find the imposter. You won't be able to find the fake. Think about this. I mean, I also like watching a lot of like History Channel TV and Pawn Stars. Now, Pawn Stars is this show on television where people bring in all of these really expensive things to this store from like, you know, the Civil War, further back, you know, uh, signatures from movie stars, all these types of things. They bring these things in. And the one concern they always have when purchasing to resell these items is, is it real or is it fake? And they always bring in an expert. An expert comes in, let me call my buddy, he's an expert in this. And this guy comes in and sometimes it's real. Sometimes it's fake. And only the expert could tell the difference between something that was real and something that is not. The Apostle Paul was dealing with this 2,000 years ago. See, the Apostle Paul had gone and started a church, and as he started this church, uh, they were growing, and they were uh, just being able to share the gospel, and things were going really great, but then something started to happen. In Galatia, false teachers started coming. And they started teaching a false gospel. It looked really close to the real thing. You really couldn't tell if it was a fake or not unless you knew the true gospel. Now, the church in Galatia is in modern-day Turkey. And Paul's letter to them, if you ever read the book of Galatians, I encourage you to do so, is kind of intense. Like, he really is saying to them, you have to hear what I'm saying right now. You can't accept the fake thing. You have to to find what is real. So the teachers in the area were teaching this new form, form of Christianity, which was saying this, the Jewish people needed to keep the Old Testament or the law of Moses, 
they call it the Mosaic Law, no pun intended. They, they have the Mosaic Law. You have to keep this law and then you add to it Christianity or the following of Christ. You cannot follow Christ unless you are keeping the Mosaic Law. And what that did is it caused a lot of confusion. Because when Jesus left and the disciples were teaching, this was a confusing thing because being Jewish was part of their culture. It was part of who they were. And so they grew up with these traditions and this way of doing things. But they're saying, you got to keep, you got to keep the old ways and then you can add on the new ways. So what did that mean? That, that means that there was a sacrifice of animals for the forgiveness of sins. In the Old Testament, God set a temporary way up for the Jewish people to sacrifice until the Messiah came. It was a short-term thing. And so they would take the best of their animals, who would take their place of death for sin, okay? They'd be sacrificed, but that was just short-term. It was to know that the Messiah was coming. When Jesus came, he was the one who was sacrificed. His sacrifice completed it. You don't have to do that anymore. They would say that you had to keep up with all the laws of being what's clean and unclean. They had all these rules and rituals about cleanliness and what they could do for worship. And there was a lot going on in this story. So they wanted to add this into this new faith that they called Christianity. There was rules about how they worship God and when they can worship God and how they worship God in the tabernacle. And all of these things were being added into it and said, okay, you can take this new thing called Christianity and we're going to add to it. You've got to keep the old ways as well. And so Paul says, no, that's fake. That is not what Jesus said. That's not what Jesus came to do. The old ways were temporary. The new ways are the things that Jesus set up for us. We have the gospel and this is a new thing. So Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That means all the Old Testament laws, everything was out there. There was no way, there's no way anybody was going to be able to keep them and fulfill them. Nobody. So the Jewish people, as we look through the Old Testament, that over and over again, they fail, they fail, they fail, they, they fall away from God, they don't do what they're supposed to. There's always this remnant that kind of keeps things moving through history. There's always this one little thread that God brings back to say, remember what I promised you, and it kind of keeps moving along. But the, the, the story here is that we can't do it. There's, there's no way. There's, there's no way. It had to be completed. Someone had to do it, and it wasn't going to be us. It wasn't going to be them during that time, and if it was still going today, we still couldn't do it. So Jesus said, look, I'm not coming to say that, like that, all that, all that in the past, that was finished by me. I, Jesus, I completed the tasks. I was the sacrifice. I was the clean one. I was the holy one. I was the one who sacrificed everything. I made the ways to God straight, and there's a new way of doing things a new testament, a new covenant, okay? There's a new way with God and man. And so Jesus was the one to do that. So this is the problem that emerged in Galatia. The distortion of the gospel, which is simple, God's grace forgives us, was being distorted. God's way of doing things 
was in the past. They're saying, well, that's the, the past is there, and there's this old way we've got to add it to this, was distorting the new gospel of Jesus that says it's by grace you are saved. And what that did is there's still this aspect that we have to earn our way to heaven. There's this idea and this thought, right? In the old way, all of these actions are a way of earning. Now, the actions of our Old Testament people was a way of showing and symbolizing what was coming. It was the expectation and saying, God, we are not good. We need a Savior. We're waiting for the one to save us. When Jesus came, it now shifts to Jesus is here. The Savior has come. He is the one who saved us. And so the difference was waiting to now accepting. Waiting, waiting for thousands and thousands of years to now saying, okay, he's the one. Now everything is different. The false teachers of the time were teaching something totally different. They were teaching this idea that you have to earn your way to heaven. You've got to kind of work hard. Yeah, Jesus saved us, but you've got to keep working your way into the ability for God to be pleased with us and that, that the gospel is addition to the ways of the old. So this is really, really confusing. If you are not a believer yet, or maybe this is your first time exploring Christianity, or you've been in this for maybe a little bit of time, it can be confusing. Like, there's so much to understand in the scriptures. And these were young believers just like you. They're like, like it's simple. God loved me. God forgive me. Accept Jesus as my Savior. Okay, that's, that's so easy. But now all this other stuff is being added in. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, we're not even Jewish. We're Gentiles. Like, now we have to start acting like Jewish people. And we've got to add this, their culture to this plus this. to. It was just not good. And so Paul speaks out about it. And he speaks out about it in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. Now, I want to encourage you to open your Bible app. Open your Bibles. I know you're at home or maybe you're listening while you're driving the car, wherever you are right now. But, but I, I just want to encourage you, if you don't do it now, write this down and read for yourself. And this is why. How do you know I'm telling the truth? What if I'm just making this all up, right? Like I'm quoting something that isn't even really there. Do you just assume when people say this is in the Bible that it really is? How can you know how to spot what is real and what is fake? So I encourage you every time when you hear someone speak, a pastor speak, when I speak, when anybody speaks, open for yourself this beautiful word of God in your apps, on, on pages, even just to read it later. Because the truth of the word of God is truth. That is what we go back to every time. We rely fully on the Word of God for truth. And so I encourage you, friends, make sure that you are doing that so that you know how to spot what is real and what is fake yourself. Okay? So we're going to Galatians uh, chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. It says this. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and returning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion, are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody's preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Now, am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? 
Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Paul starts this passage by confronting something we've all fallen prey to at some time in our life. We've fallen for a fake instead of the real thing. I mean, at some point in our life, we've accepted counterfeit. We've accepted the generic thing that wasn't the real thing. Our spiritual lives, the, the things that are in our life, we've accepted different like sayings and thoughts. And we've heard things like, okay, yeah, that's got to be real. But it wasn't because it isn't in the Word of God. What we know what is real is from the Word of God. It's been passed down from generation to generation. It is solid. It is proven. And so we look to the Word to say, okay, this is what we know what is real. There are a lot of sayings out there, especially with memes, especially with all of our social media posts that are really, really great, encouraging sayings. But they're not in the Bible. And so here are some of them that maybe you think or have heard, um, maybe thought was a scripture, but it totally is not. Okay, so think about these things. Um, have you heard these before? This too shall pass. I think everybody is saying it right now in the middle of COVID, in the middle of the racial tensions, in the middle of just political tensions. We're like, okay, this too shall pass. That's somewhere in the Bible. But the truth is, it's not. And that actually happened, that came from the Chicago Bears coach, Mike Ditka, where they had media together when he was fired. And he said to them, well, scripture tells us that this too shall pass, except it's not true. It's not in the Bible. It's a great saying, but it's not scriptural. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Now, in the Old Testament, like we shared, there's a lot of cleansing rituals and a lot of things that are in there. But nowhere in the Bible does it say cleanliness is next to godliness. So you can use that saying if you want to get your kids into the tub, uh, that's fine, I mean, whatever. Hey, the, you know, Old Testament they clean, we're going to clean, that's fine. But don't tell them it's in the Bible because it's not in the scriptures. God works in mysterious ways. Now, this is kind of a truish statement because God works in ways that are mysteries to us, not to him. He works in ways that are unknown to us. And in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, it reminds us that God's ways are different from ours. But the statement that God works in mysterious ways, no one ever muttered that. No prophet. It's nowhere in scriptures. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Now, in, fifth, in the 5th century, Augustine wrote a line that translates to this. It says, with love for mankind and hatred of sins... But then Gandhi wrote something, hate the sin and not the sinner. So none of that is necessary. In, it's not scripture. But the concepts are there of such things as loving people who are sinners. And we're supposed to hate sin. So the idea is there, but it's, that's not a verse from the Bible. It's come from people. Be in the world, but not of the, not of the world. Now this one may shock you a little bit because that one is kind of said, a lot, depending on what circles you run in, right? Be in the world, but not of the world. Uh, this is nowhere in the Bible. Some think it's a quote from the Sermon on the Mount. Someone's thought, it's never said, Jesus didn't say it. But there's a sentiment, there's a general feel throughout scriptures where you could, it's a nice saying that could kind of be, okay, I could put some pieces together. 
um, live here because we're aliens, we're not from... I get all that, if you guys know that scripture. But it's not that statement's not in the Bible. God will not give you more than you can handle. This is a very comforting thing for people who are going through hard times. But it's not what the Bible teaches us at all. In fact, you can find countless times where someone got through something really hard and they couldn't handle it, like at all, but God provided. In fact, that way of thinking is if we could handle it ourselves, we're self-sufficient, what's our need or reliance on God? So the idea that God will give you more than you handle might make you feel good, but it's not true. It's not from the scripture. God actually puts you to a place where you are fully submissive and reliant on him for everything. God helps those who help themselves. This is a falsely remembered, blatant contradiction to Scripture because this verse is nowhere to be found. In fact, there's variations in different like Greek tragedies and some different thoughts. And actually, the Quran uh, says something similar to that, but nowhere in Scriptures. The Bible does say we are unable to take care of ourselves. While we were sinners, we were unable to help ourselves. While we were lost, God found us. Scriptures tell us over and over again that Christ is the one who provided everything for us. God is the one who is taking care of us. And we are pretty much just at the mercy of our beautiful God in one sense for his provision, his care, his love. We are unable to take care of ourselves, is what Scripture tells us, especially in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. So, these are really nice and interesting sayings, and we say them a lot, but those aren't in the Bible. Were you surprised by any of those? Did you think some of those were in there? Because for a long time, we've been quoting things like that, saying, oh yeah, that's in the Bible, but it's not. Those are fakes. Could you spot that they were fakes? Do you know the Word of God so intently that in the, in the true gospel, the true story of God, that you could spot the fake from what is real. So that was the problem with our friends in Galatia. The Galatians had turned to a different message. They had turned to a false gospel. Verse 6 says this again, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. This verse implies that there's a very different gospel being preached, something that was very different. And this salvation now comes in the form of legalism, a legalism form of works. If that's a new term to you. Legalism is this idea within our faith realms which says, I have to do certain things to be able to earn the favor of God. It's the simplest way to explain it. If I am good, if I don't do these things, the don't, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, I'm living a good, faithful life. But it puts it so far in some extremes that God's love is removed if I don't do those things. It'll say, I'm not even saved if I don't do certain things, depending on this weird spectrum of what that looks like. But they're saying that salvation is based, or somehow it is included into your works. If we're honest, I mean, a lot of us who have any sort of religious background, if any background, we have some little things inside of our minds that makes us think from our past, maybe something you've heard, maybe some false information you've seen, maybe posts on Facebook, you know, people yelling at each other. I mean, we've seen so much stuff going on, right guys? Like there's so much going on. We've seen some of this. And maybe you've got some of those false thoughts inside of your head that are not true according to the gospel that Jesus sent for us. 
Maybe you think you have to be good to be saved. I have to be good to be saved. If I'm, if I'm good, then, I, then God's going to love me. And if God loves me, then I can be saved by him. The fact is, is that you're never going to be what would be considered good. Because then you say, well, what is good? It's a sliding scale. And maybe you're good compared to your neighbor, John, but you're not good compared to your neighbor, Susan. So which, where, how do you sit on that scale? When does God say, here's the cutoff line? Scripture tells us that there's nobody righteous, no, not one, except for Jesus himself. So while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He took the punishment for us. So we can't be good because only God's good himself. Even as good as you think that you are, your good is never good enough. It takes the pressure off of us to say, wow, okay, that's a, that's a new concept maybe, right? But at the same time, it can be too easy, right? Sometimes that can be too cheap. We call that cheap grace, but we'll get to that in a second. I have to earn my way to heaven. If you work hard enough and do enough things and do a lot of good things, now I can earn my way in. Here's the problem with that thought. What and what like scale is that one on as well? Like, so you come up to the to the pearly gates and you're like, okay, why should I let you into my heaven? Let's say they ask you that question, like, well, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. Like, ah, you live such a good life, but you're 50 cents short. If you just would have given that little kid a help when he was trying to ride his bike or help that little old lady across the street, that would have been the tipping factor. You didn't make it. Nowhere in scripture does it show anything about that style of life. There is not enough that you can do to earn your way in. Grace, the beautiful grace says, Christ did it, it's complete. Call on him, that's it. That's grace. We can't earn it, we can't be good enough, and it's beautiful. If I sin, I'm out. You ever felt that guilt or shame or weight when you, you mess up? You're like, oh man, like I totally messed up, so now I can't even like go back and help. Uh, like help people because I'm such I'm so terrible or man I, I if I walk to a church the the whole the whole walls will fall down or whatever kind of thought process you may have I'm too far gone for God that's not grace either because there is no too far gone for God grace is understanding and accepting what Christ had done for us the grace of the gospels you can't earn it you're not good enough and you can't out sin it Christ took everything for us. His punishment on the cross, his death, his resurrection, his kingship right now is what this whole gospel message was about. And that's what Paul is bringing back to Galatia. They started to add this workspace. I got to be good enough. We got to do all these things. And that is so confusing and complicated. And grace is so beautiful. But like I said earlier, there's cheap grace. Cheap grace says, Eh, who cares? I can do whatever I want. I'm forgiven no matter what. And let me just say this. If, if, you, if you have those feelings or thoughts or have you ever been there, Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. And Paul says in other writings, for us to keep going on sinning, mm -mm, that's not what that's about. Because the grace that God gave us is for us to now have the ability to live a new life a life that's transformed by the Spirit, one that brings us to be more like Him. Cheap grace is a mockery of the gospel. You're not even, if you really, like, oh, who cares, I'll do whatever I want, God will forgive me in the end, and so on and so forth. 
you don't understand the gospel. You don't understand what it took. You don't understand that God himself sacrificed his son. Like, that is so heavy. You don't understand the weight of sin. You're not thinking that every sin that you make is destroying and killing you in a virus that's being spread into our world, into your lives, into your families, into your world. That is what sin is. Jesus came to give us the ability to eradicate, to stop, but we just keep doing it. That's where grace comes in. Until we see Jesus face to face again, we're going to keep struggling. We're going to keep fighting. That's grace. My sin is completely forgiven by him. If it wasn't for Christ, we wouldn't have an answer. And, and I've been talking a few minutes about grace versus works. And depending on your background, I, you may be struggling with this thought a little bit. And let's just say, let me call for this. I could be totally making this up. Like I could just, who knows, right? Like where did Jason get this from? That's why we go to the word of God. That's why we're students of the word. And that's why we marinate and just let the word of God infuse us. Because I'm going to show you in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10, what Paul says exactly about what we were just talking about. It says this. It is for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do works, which good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So can you see what's being said here? We are saved by faith. By faith we are saved. Now Christ takes us and we are now given good works for his kingdom. The works that we do, the lives that we live, every good motion that we bring love and the, the life of Christ into the world, when we're generous, when we're kind, when we are faithful, when we're giving that into the world, we get to get to be on mission with God and this whole new idea. My works are a result of being saved by Christ. It's the work of God in my life that's ridding out the virus of sin and replacing it with the Spirit of God that now is able to bring fruit out into the world. It's not by self, works don't equal salvation, it's not by that, it's by grace we are saved. And now the works that we do are the result of what Christ has done in us that he's prepared for us to do, to be on mission to bring his kingdom, God's way of living, God's standards, his kingdom come, now comes to earth, and we are now advocates for it. That's the difference between the gospel that was being preached in Paul's day and some of the gospel that's being preached in our days right now. Maybe you have thought that you have to be able to be good enough for God to love you. It's not true. It's not in the scriptures. Maybe you thought you had to work your way to heaven. It's not true. It's in the scriptures. The scriptures tell us it's by grace you've been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. It's so simple. And the Galatians were accepting a fake. Maybe you have as well. Robert K. Rappa says this in the Expositor's Bible Commentary. He says this, Alternative Gospels, such as those preached by Paul's opponents, distort God's intended redemptive activity and leave humanity to suffer the just results of sin. These Gospels do not reconcile people to God, do nothing to remedy human sinfulness, and thus must be condemned in the strongest possible way. Particularly, 
since God has provided in the gospel of Christ the way of escape, and that is the gospel the Galatians have already embraced. Bearers of false gospels may be persuasive and appealing, and their messages may resonate with their hearers at some level, but even Satan may appear as an angel of light. If we're honest, sometimes it's hard to be able to be this forthright with the gospel, to be out there when we're people pleasers, when, when, when we try to say things that people want to hear, that people will like what we say. Maybe the easy route, and we can twist things just a little bit. And Paul talks about that in verse 10. He says this, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Pleasing people is not the mission of God. The mission of God was very clear that our job is to take the message of hope of the gospel out into the world. And Galatia heard that message. They accepted it. They loved it. But then they started to get fooled for a fake instead of what was good. In the letter, um, I'm sure when they received the letter from Paul and Galatia, people were not happy, right? Can you imagine getting a letter like that? Like, hey, everything you guys are doing, like, knock it off. Everybody who's teaching, John, Bill, start calling people out. You're teaching a false gospel. People start looking around the room like, who's Paul to say this to us? No, we didn't. And all these accusations start flying and all these rumors, blah, 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 right? Like, they're people. They're humans. They get this letter and, and Paul says some really intense things. Stop believing this lie that these teachers are teaching you. And in, in fact, he says this, I don't really care what you think. I don't care. I'm not here to please you. I'm not here to please you. I'm not here to please them. I don't care what you think. I'm here to please the living God. That's my job. My job is to press the mesh of the gospel forward. That's my job. You don't like it? I don't care. I mean, that's intense. Like, he doesn't care what anybody thinks in that when he says, am I here to please people? No, man, I'm here to please God. Where's your faith in that? Like, could you say right now, I don't care what people think. I'm, gonna, I'm here to bring the message of God forward with this boldness, with this fact, I'm a disciple of the king. I don't care what people think. I don't care if people like me. I got to say hard things because I treasure people too much. And my friends and family and my coworkers and my neighbors who are believing a false truth, I got to tell them what's real. I got to tell them the truth of Jesus. I got to tell them the real gospel. Don't fall for the fake one. Know the real one. It's not my story. Look at the Bible. The Bible says it itself. That's what Paul was saying. Now, they didn't have the scriptures back then, except for the Old Testament. They had Paul and Paul and the disciples and those who had seen the resurrected Christ. Don't fall for the fake, he says. You know what was true. You heard it. Christ is the one. He is the Son of God. He died. Call on him. Faith in him alone. So, it also states in verse 11 that the gospel message that Paul is professing is the source of Christ, which, which is interesting enough. He, he doesn't go and say, hey, I learned all these things from somebody else. In Acts chapter 9, we see this conversion of Saul. He changed his name to Paul. Jesus actually blinds him on a road, walking down the street blind, right? Going on his way. He was a persecutor of Christians. He was killing Christians. And so he has a conversion. And Jesus himself tells him, this is the truth of the gospel. So he now has his source is Christ alone. It says this, verse 11. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. 
So we can be secure in the fact that the message that Paul is saying is from Christ. He didn't get it from a false teacher. He didn't get it from some hearsay. He didn't make it up. He's like, look, Jesus, I'm on the road. I got blinded. You guys know this story. You guys know some of you were there possibly. Like, you all know what happened to me. And so Jesus gives me this. The gospel is simple. Call the name of Christ and you will be saved. By grace you are saved, not by works. And so Jesus gives us him to tell forward. But yet Galatia was struggling. And so Paul, not out of, I don't see him bitter. I see love, strong, loving words to a church that I'm sure needed to hear this. Don't fall for the fake gospel. Hear what is true. Don't go for the counterfeit. Go for what is real. Friends, there are a lot of false teachers even today. There's a lot of pastors and TV speakers and podcasts and all sorts of things out there teaching a whole lot of stuff. Lots of things out there are not true to what the scriptures say. You can buy books from authors. You can see things on YouTube. But how do you know what is real? How does one person say one thing yet another says another? How do we know what is real, what is fake? How do we spot that counterfeit? How can we say, I know God's word so well? Just like Jason knew those, that, those coffee beans and those regions and those roasts, how do I know the word of God so well I can sniff and spot the fake immediately? You have to know what the word of God says. You have to be immersed into the story of God. If you are not immersed in his story, if you are not immersed into understanding the truths of Scripture, and this is a process that's a lifelong, beautiful journey of exploring God's Word over and over again. Every time I read something I've read a hundred times or more, I'm like, oh my goodness, I never saw that before. It's a lifelong story of becoming more like our God by engaging his Word. And when you do that, you'll be able to spot the counterfeit. Friends, if you are not engaged in the Word of God, you're not going to be able to spot the counterfeit that looks so unbelievably close, but is not real. It's a fake. And just like the Galatians, you're going to be fooled into believing, living something that's not real. The beauty of the true gospel, the beauty of this whole thing, is that by grace, God saved us. And we simply call on Jesus as our Savior and we are saved. The beauty of living a life full now of good works, because friends, don't hear this. It doesn't mean you cut that off. You know what I'm saying. We've been talking, right? I'm not saying you cut off, you don't live a life that's good. The beauty now of a life of good works, living the life that God's called us to, this fruit that comes out of our life is that we get to be on mission with Jesus. We get to be a part of his story. We get to help to eradicate sin, not only in our lives, in our families' lives, our friends, our neighborhoods, the world, we get to be a part of his story. We get to. So our works, the good things that come out of us that Jesus has prepared for us, for us to do, is our story joining into God's story, and we get to be in it with him. Don't be fooled for a fake. Don't be fooled for a gospel or an idea of God that says you have to earn something. 
Christ alone took the penalty. He took everything for us. And it's for by grace we are saved. Know what is real and know what is fake. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.